does alongside Tyler Burton and Corbin Polson. Approximately two and a half weeks from football starting in Norman, Oklahoma. Today we're walking through our national preview uh, across the landscape of college football as well as some news and notes around Sooner football including some Paul Camp updates. But before we get to that, guys, how are we doing? I'm good, guys. Uh, good to see you. 18 days until kickoff here in Norman. It kind of feels like over the last month as uh, as we re-record each episode, we're just kind of getting closer and closer to football. So the excitement level is just slowly, uh, you know, it getting bigger and bigger. But yeah, things are going well. Uh, cannot wait for football to start here in just a matter of, what, 14, 15 days? We got week zero coming up too. 11 days. 11. Whew. Single digits. Not single digits, single ones. That's better, better phrased. End of the end of the week, it'll be single digits. But yeah, guys, I mean, uh, best time of the year leading up to college football. Um, pretty excited about this OU DNA thing coming on uh, mm-hmm. ESPN Plus. I think that'll be pretty interesting. Um, but lots of uh, fall camp news, which I know Tyler, you're ready to hit on. Yeah, we heard from Brent Venables earlier today when he met with the media at the conclusion of this morning's practice. Um, there's a few things that really stood out to me, guys, especially when you start talking about Billy Bowman, Marcus Major, Gavin Sawchuk. Uh, he's really excited about the running back position. Also touched on the offensive line, the two Jakes in particular in uh, the true freshman Jake Taylor and Jacob Sexton. Um, Corbin Brent said today Billy Bowman might be playing the best football of anybody on the entire defense. And as an OU fan, that's got to make you feel good because we've been excited about Billy since he got on camp this nearly two years ago so uh big things come for uh, for number five it's it'll be interesting because one thing i don't think we know about brent as a head coach is is does he play mind games with the media for the players uh there's no doubt i think we all have big expectations for bowman we think he's going to be a phenomenal player but is this maybe a call out to some of the older guys on the roster in the secondary that maybe aren't performing as well and so he's giving a shout out to you know one of the younger players on the team we don't know uh take it at his word we should be excited about Billy Bowman, but I can't help but to wonder if there's just a little bit of maybe gamesmanship between BB and the players on this one. I think the offensive line was the most interesting comment to me because now we have two independent or two different. I'm assuming that Brent Venables is not the first person that, that said the first quote, but we heard a, a note last week. I can't remember where it came from, where someone said the offensive line is the strongest unit on the team. We were all like, eh, I don't know about that. But then Venables comes out today and says, I've got nine guys that I feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I'm not I'm not necessarily bought in on the young freshman yet. Mm-hmm. But if if that's true, if there's nine guys that could play and, and at a high level today, that's really interesting. It does make me concerned about that center position because I'm not sure that, you know, what happens if Andrew Rame has to take some time off uh, necessarily. But that's really interesting. And I think if we continue to hear really good things about the offensive line, you can start stringing that together and saying, hey, you know, that could be a real position of strength and one that this team has desperately needed over the last couple of years. I think that goes back to the mind games point you were talking about earlier, Corbin. You know, Brent talked to, you know, at length today about the offensive line, feeling comfortable about up to nine guys in that position room of Bill Beanbow, but he only mentioned four uh, offensive tackles. Um, obviously, Wanye Morris, the two Jakes, Jake Taylor, Jacob Sexton. We kind of figured that it was kind of a given up to this point that Anton Harrison was going to be that fourth guy. But no, Anton Harrison wasn't mentioned at all uh, in the post-practice comments today from BV. Tyler Guyton, who's a guy that's been getting praise basically since he showed up in Norman uh, seven, eight months ago, all the way back to the spring game where he showed out tremendously, had a very good offseason this summer with Schmitty. He's a guy that is <laughs> basically from everything that we've been hearing. Sounds like he has a very, very good chance to, to occupy one of the starting tackle positions. And, you know, Corbin, kind of my last thing on this, one of my favorite things about Brent and this is definitely one of the biggest differences between him and the previous coach. 
there's no coach speak, I feel like. Brent came out today and said the guys are working hard this camp, but they had a practice the other day that was a little lackluster. Both the players and the coaches didn't live up to the standard that they've set for this program. So, again, it goes back to accountability, and I love hearing honesty from this staff in both their – not just their praises of the players when they're putting out good effort and performances, but also not being afraid to be honest when talking about if a guy – or a position group isn't living up to those expectations that they've set such a high standard for. And I can't wait to see if that's something that's going to continue once games start getting played. You know, guys, I'm really curious when BV makes comments like that, we've gotten so used to Bedenbo having up until Texas to really like round out this offensive line. Mm-hmm. Is he going to have as much freedom or as much leash of not being that line's got to be ready to go game one? I, I think we may see a consistent O-line from beginning to end, excluding in, uh, injuries. How do you all feel about this? Does Beaton boast of the flexibility, or does BV kind of clamp the uh, clamp things down here and really we'll see the starting line from day one? I don't think you have the luxury of being able to wait until the second weekend of October because you've got that trip to Nebraska looming in week three. We know that UTEP and Kent State – OU is going to have their way with them, we think. There should be no problem whatsoever. They're not going to have the depth or the talent on the defensive line for those two teams, I think, to be able to challenge Oklahoma. But we know Nebraska is going to in that environment in Lincoln. So I think coming out of that game, you'll start to see if any changes are going to be made. Once you get out of Lincoln, you go into a home game against Kansas State with Texas coming on the other side of that weekend. Um Beanbow, he's not going to have the luxury of being able to wait four, five, six weeks to get his guys, get his core five ready to go uh, because that competition ramps up in week three. Yeah, I was going to mention that K-State game because possibly the best pass rusher that this team will face all year is coming in from the Wildcats mm-hmm. with uh, Felix Anadike Uzoma. Had 11 sacks last year. Well so. done. Yeah, I, I practiced that one a little bit. So <laughs> he's definitely a guy that I think will, will – I mean, hey, you get him in week, what, four? game four I guess so you're gonna find out pretty quick I think Nebraska's you know they've always got some talent there as well so this offensive line does need to to be in shape uh you know from the get-go another thing that we didn't have on our agenda here as far as fall camp notes wide receivers we've heard some good things from the uh, scrimmage on Saturday with uh, JJ Hester uh looking the part some of the younger Mm -hmm. freshmen looking the part a name that I still have yet to hear come up a whole lot is Jaleel Farouk and we mentioned him last week in our, you know, just OU fall camp, you know, mega preview. If you missed that, go back and uh, check that out. It's got a lot of in-depth coverage across all the position groups and what we're expecting for this upcoming season. Uh, but Farouk, you know, by all accounts, everyone says he looks the part. He's probably going to be have a breakout year. He looks like the next big mm-hmm. thing at wide receiver, but pretty quiet spring game. We haven't heard much of him scrimmage wise. I don't know if he's been a little bit dinged up necessarily, but I, I think that's interesting that we just haven't heard about him making big play after big play. Anybody else getting Charleston Rambo vibes? Um, well, no, <laughs> no, I'm not even close to that. I mean, he's he's not getting as much public or you know recognition from the coaching staff in the public eye. But when you kind of, if you want to be one of those guys, one of those true diehard fans that you know watches the highlight tapes, they watch the clips from practice. Jalil Farouk is making a lot of plays. Um, over the past couple of months with some of the footage that OU's been putting out. So, uh, no, I am I am not approaching Charleston Rambo status whatsoever uh, for Jalil Farouk. Um, but, but, Adam, I think, you know, kind of t- two more points here, and we'll kind of put a bow on, you know, the fall camp talk. Uh, I, I talked about how 
Uh, not just Jeff Levy, but Brent Venables made it a point today to talk about his excitement level with the young guys in the running back position group uh, that DeMarco Murray is also extremely excited about, the talent uh, that, that OU is going to be putting out on the field this fall. You know, Eric Gray, um, you know, Teddy talked about it from uh, over the past weekend. He was at the scrimmage. He said that this guy looks like a completely different player, carrying anywhere from 10 to 20 more pounds. Marcus Major's in the best shape of his life. Uh, it seems like he's kind of found that next gear where he knows – uh, not just that Eric Gray is ahead of him, but he's also got a bunch of young guys that are extremely talented uh, nipping in his heels, and this could be his final season to make an impact if he's going to at the University of Oklahoma. So running back is a, is a good one that I'm going to be uh, excited to, to check out once UTEP gets here. But then also we do have to talk about the injury bug. I know that that's something that a lot of fans are keeping an eye on with their teams as the course of fall camp. Uh, and we did learn today that TD Roof um, is going to be undergoing a season-ending surgery. Uh, I believe it was his uh, a bicep. He had his arm in a sling today, so OU does lose a little bit of quality depth in the linebacker room. Um, so, you know, prayers out to TD Roof on a successful surgery and a healthy recovery. Yeah, it's unfortunate that, you know, a guy, I, I think this was maybe his last year or two. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much eligibility he has left, so he may have already played his last game, unfortunately. But... Um, probably a guy that will quickly move into some sort of assistant type role, um, support mm-hmm. role of some kind. Um, just seems like, uh, you know, following his dad's footsteps there. Adam, I can't believe you didn't start the podcast off talking and glowing about the Justin Harrington remarks that have been coming out of camp. He's a guy <laughs> that you've been talking about for the better part of the yeah. last couple of months. Uh, hearing a lot well, of good things about 37. Yeah, and he was, what did I, I don't know what the exact label was that we mentioned in last week's pod, but he was kind of like my surprise guy for the defense or whatever. And I talked him up on Tuesday. And then like the less than 24 hours later, Teddy Lehman's talking about Justin Harrington, all sorts of practice reports coming out about how great he's been at the cheetah position. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like a prophet over here. So um, hopefully he can put it all together. That would be pretty awesome uh, for the kid to just have a great year. And, um, you know, I think expectations are, you know, basically the floor, you know, they're pretty low for him right now. So anything mm-hmm. he can do, if he's just a solid contributing starter, that's, that's huge for, for a guy like that. If he's all big 12, that's even better. So um, let's talk about another defensive back that just committed this past Saturday. That's Jacoby Johnson out of Mustang, mm-hmm. Oklahoma, the four-star top uh, 250 uh, prospect, according to rivals. I think he's higher in maybe some other databases, but a guy that almost seemed like, I don't know. It almost didn't was more of a blip on the radar because it felt like he had been committed to OU for so long without actually being committed. Mm -hmm. Well, he got his Oklahoma offer over two years ago. um, And he was a guy that out, I believe it was Alex Grinch was the first one to offer him. So that just kind of goes shows how far back um, Jacoby Johnson's, uh, you know, connection with this program has been, but yeah, he's OU's 10th four-star uh, commitment in the class of 2023. The second player from the state of Oklahoma uh, joining Eric McCarty um, chose the Sooners over Alabama, Michigan, and Stanford. So uh, pretty good competition that OU was uh, battling for uh, to get his commitment. Now, uh, Oklahoma sits at number six in the 247 team rankings for the 2023 class, excuse me. And there's a lot more to come. We touched on it a little bit earlier today. Uh, you guys sent out the tweet earlier. We've got Macari Vickers, Anthony Evans, uh, commitment states coming up. OU has a chance if they can land both of those guys along with some of the other players coming down the pipeline a little bit later this fall once you get closer to the All-American games with some of the announcements. OU has a realistic chance, guys, not to just to finish with the you know highest-rated class in the last 10 years, higher than anything the Lincoln Riley was ever able to do in Norman. Um, but there's a realistic chance that this is a top five class 
uh, in the highest recruiting class that maybe maybe Oklahoma's had since you know the early two thousands when Stoops, Venables, and Mike, when Bob, Mike, and Brent uh, were leading the charge for Oklahoma back then. Yeah, I I thought it was a really interesting announcement the way he did it too, and it was kind of uh, it was kind. I don't of think I've good. seen that before. I don't yeah, think it I've was seen kind of something a, like that. It was kind yeah. of a feel good type of way because it was more about and Mustang is a tight knit community. Um, it's it was more about sharing that with the entire Mustang community, the football program, the younger kids there. There were some pretty cool videos and photos from that. And it wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. this well produced situation just for social media or for television or whatever. I thought that was kind of cool. And maybe it's because there wasn't really any type of suspense about where he was going, but it was kind of cool to see that just play out a little bit differently. Major Friday night lights vibes watching that commitment video, seeing the entire town basically shut down everybody invading that field, that area to, you know, be a part of the, uh, the, the Mustang football tradition and the program that they've got building down there. Um, but guys, let's kind of transition in here. Um, power five college football preview. We're going to go national in this space, previewing all five power five conferences uh, conference championship matchups, who you guys look forward to seeing or expecting to be competing for that championship. Uh, maybe a surprising team, but also a uh, team that you think uh, could be a little bit of a letdown this year, could be a disappointing year for that fan base. And no better place to start. We're going alphabetically here. Let's go to the ACC. Corbin, do we want to start with the surprising team, disappointing team, or do you just want to go for it and say these are the two teams that are going to be playing for it at the end of the year? Uh, let's save that for the end. Maybe okay. had a little suspense. Uh, my most surprising team, I'm going to go Florida State. A uh, team that probably just has too much talent in their backyard to continue to be good, to be bad, excuse me. So did a quick look over their schedule. Obviously nothing is, is uh, uh, a given, but I've got Florida State like eight to nine wins this year, which I think would be a, a decent step in the right direction uh, for that program to get going. But that's my most surprising team. Give me the Knowles out of the ACC. I'm going to stick with Florida State on this one, and I'm actually going to reverse it, Corbin. I've actually got Florida State as my most disappointing team in the ACC this year. Um, Florida State goes to New Orleans in week two to take on LSU and Brian Kelly. I think that we'll find out a lot about those two programs, what the state of they are. uh, State of they are. Damn, can't talk right now. Uh, in week one, uh, if Brian Kelly uh, can get things going in Baton Rouge. But then you also look at Clemson, at NC State, at Miami, Florida to close out the season. I'm having a hard time seeing Florida State and Mike Norvell make a bowl game this year. And, guys, this is a program going into this year is coming off four consecutive losing seasons. So I know that they always recruit well. The talent is rich in the state of Florida. The talent in that on that roster in Tallahassee uh, is very, very good. But I'm on the opposite side of you, Corbin. I've actually got Florida State as a – uh, disappointing team this year, and they will not reach a bowl game uh, for the fourth consecutive year. Well, it took 30 seconds year. for us to get off topic. Uh, so, Tyler, who is your surprising team? <laughs> surprising team of the year? I'm going to go with uh, NC State. Um, actually, right. going back up to your neck of the woods, Adam and Raleigh. Um, I, I like what they, they return uh, on defense especially, but then also when you look what it takes to be elite in college football, what it takes to be competitive within your conference and ultimately try to win a conference championship, you've got to have good quarterback play. And there is no better quarterback play in the ACC uh, than what we're going to be getting out of the Wolfpack this year and Devin Leary. So I've got NC State as a chance to challenge Clemson uh, for the ACC championship this year. So Adam just hit both. Yeah, (laughs) just hit both. Like most scenarios, I just want it to be known that I'm signing with Corbin on the Florida State take. I like what uh, their quarterback, Jordan Travis, did to end mm-hmm. out the year. 
Florida State feels like the Nebraska of the South. They're just so desperate to get back at this point, but they have a lot more talent to, to get there. So I think they could be surprising. If I'm going to go surprising, I'm actually going to go with Boston College. Uh, Phil Jerkovic, the quarterback there, I think you know he's an experienced guy. He's got his, his number one target back in Zay Flowers. So I think they could maybe make some noise. I don't know that they're going to win the conference or anything like that, but eight, nine wins, be dangerous, get an upset here or there. I think that could be uh, definitely within the cards. For my most disappointing team, I'm going with Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sam Hartman, we don't really know how long he's going to be out. And so maybe the expectations have already been lowered. But at the same time, Wake Forest, to me, feels a lot like Iowa State last year, a team that's not used to being in the spotlight, that won a lot of games the year before. But repeating that success is really tough when you're not going to surprise anyone. So Wake Forest is my most uh, most disappointing team. Disappointing for me, Miami. They have been disappointing for quite some time. Uh, so I don't expect things to be any different. I have no idea how this team is ranked in the top 20 uh, to kick off the year. <laughs> I feel like the past three years, we've kind of – I'll put Miami back in this, uh, you know, the U is back. They're not. I uh, continue to expect this program to be disappointing for a while. Do you, well, do you have is, them in your title game, Tyler? I, I've actually got uh, Miami being one of the two representatives in the <laughs> ACC championship I, game. So I we're, feel great about this. It's going to be a fun season talking ACC football coming on here each and every week. But, yeah, I, I like Miami. I'm very curious to see what Mario Cristobal and that coaching staff is going to be able to do in year one. Uh, kind of had some pretty big roster turnover, bringing in some key guys from the transfer portal. Cristobal trying to change the culture uh, down there in South Beach. But when you talk about you know 13 returning starters on this team, uh, they've got their their starting backfield uh, coming back this year, led by running back Jalen Knighton and quarterback Tyler Van Dyke. 25 touchdowns, six interceptions a year ago. We're going to find out very, very quick what the state of uh, Hurricane football is, as in week three they travel to Kyle Field to take on Texas A&M in College Station, a big matchup for both of those two schools. Uh, but other than that, guys, I mean, Pitt, Florida State, North Carolina at home, uh, and then the two tough road matchups this year at Virginia. You call that for, you know, call it whatever it is for uh, Virginia, and then on the road at Clemson and Dabo Sweeney's group, who I actually think uh, we will be seeing a rematch of those two teams uh, in the ACC championship. Guys, I'll let you touch on uh, touch on your two teams before I kind of do a little deep dive well, on Clemson. Go ahead and say your champion. Yeah, I've uh, I've got Miami taking on Clemson uh, in the ACC championship, I'm, and I'm actually going to pick Dabo Sweeney's group to bounce back, uh, which is kind of hard to say. I'm not coming off a 9-10-1 season, how do they bounce back? But uh, 2021 was not a uh, good season by Clemson standards, and when you look at what Clemson does have coming back, uh, double-digit returning starters – Will Shipley at the running back position, one probably the premier running back in that conference. DJ Ui Ungalalele, um, bust or kind of a kind of a one off uh, on his performance a year ago. Threw one more interception than he did touchdowns uh, a season ago. But guys, I'm I'm very high on Clemson this year uh, because of Will Shipley, but also they're going to have probably the most dominant defensive line in all of college football this year. Murphy, Brees, Davis, uh, and Thomas to round out those starting four. Um, at Wake in week four is kind of the first matchup where they'll be tested. That game's kind of lost a little bit of its uh, uh, sh- uh, shining value, I guess, for lack of a better word, because of Sam Hartman not being available for the Demon Deacons. But a closing four-game stretch for Clemson and Dabo is <laughs> brutal this year. At Notre Dame, Louisville, Miami, and uh, Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks to close it out in the regular season finale. So I've got Clemson knocking off Miami to win the ACC this year. That's interesting. I, from the Atlantic division, 
I, you know, that's your Clemson division. I know nobody knows who's in any division in the ACC, (laughs) but that's your Clemson division just for reference. Clemson is really highly ranked right now. Everyone pretty much expects them to bounce back, but I just can't get behind it. They lost both coordinators. They Mm -hmm. lost their defensive line coach. They are stacked uh, player-wise, personnel-wise on defense. I think they'll be really good there, but the aspect of, and you hear it, here at OU, everyone's saying, I would run through a brick wall for Brent Venables. Um, the recruits talking about the relationships with Todd Bates. And Clemson did go with, go with some continuity um, on both sides of the ball in their coordinator hires. But replicating what Venables does, just motivation-wise and detail-wise, I think is going to be tough for Clemson. So while they have really good players, I just don't know if they're going to be able to get the absolute max out of them because they are going to need that. Because on the flip side, offensively, I'm not a fan of DJ. I think Cade Klubnik uh, comes in at least at some point in the year and takes over that role, maybe somewhat similar to the way Trevor Lawrence did uh, in his time at Clemson. But the the Tigers just don't have any offensive weapons that really impress me. So for that reason, I'm going with NC State as my Atlantic Division winner. And as someone that grew up in Raleigh, I'm breaking every single rule I have about the Wolfpack, which is never, ever, ever trust the Wolfpack. Um, but NC State returns 10 starters on a very, very good defense. Their signal caller behind uh, center there, Devin, uh, Devin Leary, 35 touchdowns to five interceptions last year. I think they are the team to beat in that division, and then I think they will face uh, the Canes out of the Coastal Division. Coastal is that division where it's have like a different winner every single year. So I don't know. It's hard. At to least predict. I'm not. I'm not the minority on Miami. No, I, okay. I really, it's me just betting on the better quarterback there. And I usually don't like guys named Tyler, but Tyler Van Dyke out of Miami is the best quarterback in that division. A lot of teams rebuilding there. UNC, Virginia Tech, Virginia, Georgia Tech, Duke. Like there is just some really bad teams in that division. So yeah. I feel like Miami's a safe bet there. And then my champion out of that is going to be NC State, just favoring the defense there. Yeah. So I've got uh, I've got Clemson uh, winning it, but I've got North Carolina. Uh, being in the uh, the championship <laughs> game sounds crazy, but Adam, you hit it on the head. That entire division, to me, if I truly believe that Miami is a disappointing team, that entire division sucks. Yep. Anybody can come out of that division, and so I'm simply looking at the uh, the schedule here. If Miami is as bad as I think it is, that's probably UNC's toughest conference game at Miami. They have Pitt at home, at Wake Forest, and NC State at home. That's manageable. If you're a decent team, that's manageable. So yeah. I could be way wrong. I'm, I'm planning to eat crow on this one. I, But just looking at schedule alone, give me Clemson over North Carolina in the championship game. And UNC has recruited very well over the last three years. Yep. So it's not crazy. It's just no. anybody could come out of that coastal, in my Absolutely. opinion. I guess uh, that covers ACC. Let's talk Big Ten. Ohio State, the huge favorite here. Um, let's actually, let's, you guys want to start with divisions on this one? Like, do you see anyone being able to unseat Ohio state out of that, uh, big 10 East? No, I think there, I think there's two possibilities here. Um, and actually one of them is going to be my most surprising team and a team that I expect to take a, to take another big step, uh, in year two under Mel Tucker. To me, this is a sneaky good bet. If you want to take a flyer on somebody outside of Michigan or Ohio state to win the big 10 Vegas has them right now at plus 2,500, I believe. So not a bad bet. I know they have to, uh, replace the, the production that they lost from a year ago with running back Kenneth Walker leaving to go to the NFL. But Peyton Thorne is back at the quarterback position for the 
Spartans, 27 touchdowns a year ago. Nine of the 11 starters for Mel Tucker's defense are upperclassmen, so a lot of football has been played up in East Lansing with that group. Uh, Minnesota, Ohio State, and Wisconsin at home this year, uh, too. So if they can take care of two out of three from those guys, steal one on the, on the road against Michigan or Penn State, this could be a team late November pushing for a chance to make it to Indianapolis. That's my most disappointing team. Wow. (laughs) All right. Well, I guess I'm signing with Tyler on that one. I do like Michigan State a lot. I think they're probably about the same as what they were last year. Peyton Thorne uh, takes a big step, and then they got the transfer from Corbin's backyard and Jarek Broussard uh, coming in to replace some of those rushing yards. So I do like Michigan State. I still have Ohio State coming out of the East. Um, I guess am I am I giving my most surprising team two here? I know we're kind of all over the place. Uh, Do your do your most disappointing team now. Most disappointing. Um, this one was interesting. I'm I'm going with Penn State, mm-hmm. and the the bar is kind of lower for them this year. I think they've won like eight games or less the last couple of years, but Michigan State has has passed by uh, Penn State in the hierarchy of the Big Ten East, in my opinion. And the fact that they're going to roll Sean Clifford out there again, he seems like a guy where he, maybe he's kind of like Spencer Sanders esque, but the, the team hasn't had as much success. He just he is what he is. Like he's not gonna do a whole lot good or bad in my opinion so Penn i can't State, believe i'm saying this but that's an insult to spencer sanders <laughs> he's just i mean you just kind of know what he is he's he's okay yeah. he's nothing more than that and so I, I just don't think that they have anywhere to, to go it's another disappointing year for the nittany lions fair enough Corbin, most disappointing team for you yeah, I've got Sparty. Uh, I'm I'm not a big Mel Tucker guy. That's just me. Um, and I think this schedule is pretty tough. Uh, I get that you have Ohio State and Wisconsin at home. I actually think that game to end the year in Happy Valley kind of makes or breaks the season, if you want my honest opinion. As bad as Penn State can be, that is one of the toughest places to play in college football year in, year out. So I think that if I'm a Spartan fan, that might be the one I schedule where it's like our season at the end of the year kind of depends on what happens uh, at Penn State, but I, guys, I just think it's I think it's a I think it's too tough um, in my honest opinion. So, just my personal opinion, I think Sparty takes a step back. I'm actually gonna, going to go down to the Big Ten West. A lot of people, a lot of magazines, a lot of media outlets have predicted this team to represent the Big Ten West uh, in Indianapolis against Ohio State. But I've actually got Wisconsin. Uh, as a disappointing team for me this year. Three starters back on the offensive line to go with a talented group of running backs. But quite frankly, I simply do not trust Graham Mertz at the quarterback position where, again, one more interception to touchdown pass than he did a year ago. Combine that with a defense that's replacing eight starters and a schedule that features road trips to Ohio State, to Michigan State, to Iowa. And I'm even going to throw Nebraska on there. Lincoln, no matter how good this team is, always a tough place to play. I think this is going to be a letdown season for the fans up at Camp Randall. Yeah, I agree with that um, in regards to that. I'll stick in the Big Ten West for my most surprising team. I've got Illinois and simply just saying, hey, year two boost under uh, Brett Belima. Uh, I know Illinois got their uh, running back that was pretty strong for them coming back, and then they uh, pulled a transfer in, uh, blanking on the name, but they pulled in a transfer. I think it was from uh, Boston College. Come back to me nice. on that one. Nice. Yes. <laughs> so they have a little bit more at the quarterback position is what I'm saying, I guess. So I'm, I'm going against you guys again. My surprising team I actually think is Penn State. Um, to me, this is where James Franklin really shines when there are zero expectations on him as a coach. When he has expectations, in my opinion, he folds. 
there are zero expectations for Penn State football this year, and I think they surprise some people. If you look at the schedule, um, yes, on the road at Michigan, but you get Ohio State at home, and you get Michigan State at home, and there's not another Big Ten opponent that's currently ranked on their schedule. Pretty favorable. So, I could again, I'm happy to eat crow on this. I feel like I'm going to be doing it. I haven't de- done a deep dive into the teams. I'm simply looking at what the schedule presents, and this is a pretty favorable one. So if you can take care of home field, which Penn State typically does a decent job of, this team could uh, could su- surprise some people. And I'll go ahead and start us off. That's actually they're, – they're my surprise team, but probably not my biggest surprise team because that team to me is actually in the conference championship game. I still have Ohio State winning this conference. I don't have a doubt in my mind that that's going to take place. But I have them beating Nebraska in the Big Twin Big Ten Championship. Jesus game. Christ! Oh my God! Okay, I'm 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 all ears. But here's the thing: if you look at the schedule, and let me get back to Nebraska's schedule here real fast. And especially Tyler, if you're saying Wisconsin is your disappointing team, then tell me why Nebraska does couldn't make a run at this. They have Wisconsin at home, on the road at Michigan on the road, Iowa. And I guess if you want to throw like maybe a swing game in there on the road at Purdue, they don't play Michigan State. They don't play Ohio State. They don't play Penn State. Tell me why this isn't possible. They have five straight losing seasons, and you're going to pick them to represent one side of the division in the Big Ten Conference? Scott now, I, coaching I, for his job. He's been coaching for his job for three years. Now, I, now does that have to do with – does that have to do with Nebraska's schedule? Is that are you a big fan of Casey Thompson? Is he the difference maker in Lincoln? I think Thompson's Thompson. You have to agree is an upgrade, right? Do we he's all the best quarterback? That I'll Nebraska's say that probably had since Taylor Martinez, if not. Okay, that's that. that's the fair. Schedule, I the schedule that. is favorable. The OU game means nothing to Nebraska as far as the Big Two Big Ten Conference race. And what I will say, just a little side note: if Nebraska is playing in the Big Ten Championship, OU. Now, all of a sudden, has a really good shot to make the playoff. Yeah. So yeah. that's all I'm saying. But the schedule, guys, I know I know the at-Iowa game is is a game that where the, the big dogs come in and they lose. Just score 14 points. Against <laughs> yeah. That's yes. all you need. <laughs> 17 if you want a cushion. <laughs> well, they better, they better take care of business in week zero against Northwestern in Dublin. Um, you gotta, you gotta get things started off on a right note. Cause if you take care of Northwestern, North Dakota, Georgia, Southern for the next two, you got a chance to be three and oh, going into that matchup and leaking against Oklahoma. So that, uh, uh guys, possibly look, call. look at it. Indiana, Rutgers, Purdue, Illinois, Minnesota. And then yes, I get it. You have Michigan, Nebraska, Iowa, but yeah. of those games, Nebraska can win. I think I genuinely think they can. If I, if Casey if Casey Thompson is what everybody believes he is, and I, I think that yes, that that is not too far out there. I just can't get past the fact that you're going to expect a team that hasn't had a win a winning season since Scott Frost has got there to just all of a sudden turn the corner and compete for a championship. It would be a fantastic story, and you're right; it makes OU look good, especially if we go on the road and beat the Cornhuskers. Okay, so I'm going to turn it to you then. If you're saying Wisconsin's the disappointing team, who do you have playing Ohio State? It's funny you say that. Uh, this is I'm going going out on a limb here, just like you did with Nebraska. Uh, I do have Ohio State winning the conference, but I've actually got them taking on the Purdue Boilermakers. Oh my coming god! Out of the other side of the Big Ten division, um, just taking a flyer on it. For At least Nebraska's played in a Big Ten championship. <laughs> well, and, and and again, you talked about the schedule of Nebraska Purdue. They're avoiding Ohio State and Michigan in the regular season, so that's two almost always guaranteed losses for the Boilermakers that are going to be re- removed from their schedule. 
you know, uh, I think that there's an opportunity for Purdue and quarterback Aiden O'Connell. I think they could surprise some people. And like you said, it's it's not going to matter whether it's Nebraska or Purdue because they're, they're going to get run out of the stadium by C.J. Stroud and Trevion Henderson when that time comes. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going to take a flyer on Purdue here. I did I not did I not tell you in the group chat that we were gonna have some banter going back and forth? This always happens. I can't believe you just gave me shit for Nebraska, and then you pick Purdue. Yeah, yeah. Purdue's um, had a better record than Nebraska over the past few years. I don't know. I just I, I just I just can't trust Scott Frost. No no shot. No chance. I I considered Nebraska. Go Northwestern week zero. Go ahead. Adam. Are you good? <laughs> I, I I considered Nebraska for my Big Ten West champion. I just couldn't get over the hump of that team and that program and that coach is so desperate right now. And I think that could be a good thing or it could be a really, really bad thing. So I just didn't feel comfortable going with Nebraska. I didn't like Wisconsin for the reasons you mentioned, Tyler, of of Graham Mertz. I didn't like them at all. Iowa um, doesn't like the forward pass. Uh, (laughs) Their leading receiver last year, wide receiver, not a tight end or a running back, had 331 yards receiving. So – I just can't trust that offense. So I'm also going to go with Purdue. I like Aiden O'Connell, but oh! I, also, I also like Purdue's schedule. Uh, what they draw from the Big Ten East, Penn State at home in the opener, and then they're at Maryland and at Indiana. That is Charmin soft. So I like Purdue's chances. They may not beat all the teams in the Big Ten West, but to cushion that lead with what you've got from the Big Ten East, uh, I think they could match up against Ohio State in that final game. But, of course, we're all picking Ohio State here. Yeah. And, again, 40 minutes into the podcast, just want to reiterate to the listeners at home, Corbin is picking North Carolina and Nebraska to play in a conference championship game this year. So uh, let, let's just let's just The same Nebraska this, team that almost came into Norman and won last year, that one, that's the one you're talking about? I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Yeah. Do you think that's that had more to do with Nebraska or more to do with uh, Oklahoma and a coaching staff that was checked out? Doesn't matter. you got to play the damn Doesn't game. Matter. All right, well, I kind of let's save the Big 12 for last. This is what everybody cares about around here. Let's save the Big 12 for the very, very end. Um, a conference that I think, me personally, that was the hardest of the five to try to forecast what's going to happen. So let's go out west to a part of the country in a conference that nobody in America really gives a shit about, and that is the Pac 12, unless you're calling Cowherd. Um, Adam, start things off with you, man. Let's, let's start off on a positive note here. What's your most surprising team in the Pac 12 this year? Lots of opportunities for this one because almost every team is predicted to be like seven and five or worse in this uh, particular conference. I'm going to go with Washington, a program that uh, has some talent, had a very disappointing year last year. And so I think that has lowered the bar for them. Uh, But I like that they have Michael Penix Jr., the quarterback transferred from Indiana. They've also got uh, Brock Heward, uh, the former five-star waiting in the wings if they need to go that direction. So I think they have some talent at quarterback uh, to, to go with. But I also like their schedule. Uh, no USC or Utah on the schedule, so their toughest mm-hmm. games really in conference are either uh, Oregon or Oregon <laughs> State. Uh, I think mm-hmm. the Beavers are actually a really tough, tough program right now, but their schedule is not not super favorable. So um, I'll take the Huskies as most surprising. What's so crazy about the Pac-12 is we just dove into two conferences who were like, ooh, who can get like the most ranked teams on their schedule? Uh, who can avoid who? The Pac-12 is just the complete opposite. It's like all these schedules look pretty reasonable. Uh, So it's very entertaining just to take a a sharp twist. I have no clue what happens in the (laughs) Pac-12 conference at all. None. I feel way more confident about Nebraska going to the Big Ten championship game than anything I'm about to predict for the Pac-12 conference. I want to make that very clear. 
That's fair. I mean, like it's it, to me, this is the biggest question mark conference. Not even in the sense where it's like, ooh, all, so many of these teams could be good. I don't think many are going to be good. And so it's like, who is the best of the worst? So I actually think if I'm putting money on something for a surprise team, give me UCLA. I don't know why. I know Chip <laughs> Kelly. I know he can. You know, he's going to score some points. But I have no clue what to expect out of anybody in this conference. I love this reasoning. I love it. I got nothing. Um, <laughs> I think for the exact same reasoning, I'm going to go with Oregon State as my surprise team this year in the Pac-12. Um, they're my team to watch out for in this conference. Now, I'm not expecting them to win or compete for the conference title, but I think they're going to derail one or two team seasons this year. Uh, yes, I'm looking at you, Lincoln Riley. Uh, they host Oregon. They host Southern Cal. And, guys, let's not forget, this is a team returning 17 starters, nine of which are on defense. Uh, they've got an offense coming back that boasted back-to-back top 50 scoring offenses and the nation's number 19 rushing attack a year ago. So watch out for the Beavers uh, to make some noise in the Pac-12 this year. On the flip side, the most disappointing team this year. I have no other reason to back this claim up other than the fact that this is one of the most overrated coaches in America. I don't know why he gets the praise other than the fact he got to coach Christian McCaffrey uh, for three to four years at Stanford. Is this the year that people finally start to accept that David Shaw might just not be the great football coach he's been painted out to be? 11-19 in the last three years, How three losing seasons. Does Stanford have any expectations? They're paying him $9 million a year, and I can't find enough wins on this schedule to even see this team making a bowl game, even with nine starters returning. So, uh, yeah, David Shaw, Stanford Cardinals, another long season out in the Pac-12. Uh, I mean, Palo the Alto. expectations are like nothing. They went three and nine last year. Yeah, how can that be Matt a disappointing Long's team? Sports has them projected at four and eight. I, I guess. I guess why I'm saying that's disappointing is because how how much more lenience, how much more. Uh, how much longer is, is the rope going to be? For, how much more, um, I don't know, for lack of a better term, can't think right now. How much more slack are you going to give uh, David Shaw? He's making $8.9 million a year out in Pac-12 country. Uh, he's had losing seasons three out of the last four years. I just don't know uh, how much Stanford longer. Stanford does not care about football. They yeah. do not care whether he is three and nine no, or ten and three. No argument for me on that. I'm just saying that at some point, you know, you've got to respect the results on the field. And if you're paying a coach nine million dollars, a top five salary in college football, by the way, um, Stanford, show me more. Okay. okay. Interesting, uh, to say the least. I have Oregon as the most disappointing team in the Pac-12 conference. And what scares me is like I picked them as my disappointment team. And I went back and forth on them being in the conference championship game. Uh, so Oregon's weird to me, but at the end of the day, mm. I can't trust Bo Nix. I can't. He's good for about one good upset <laughs> a year, and that could mess things up where Oregon kind of backdoors them themselves into a conference championship game. But I just can't trust Bo Nix. He couldn't do it at Auburn. He's certainly going to have a lighter schedule in the Pac-12, no doubt about that whatsoever. So maybe he surprises me. But until he does it, there's just no way I can get behind Bo Nix being a successful quarterback in the uh, collegiate ranks. Yeah, I think Dan Lanning and the Ducks are about to get a huge wake-up call uh, going on the road to Atlanta to take on Georgia in, in week one. So I kind of feel like game means moving. nothing, though. It, it, it means, means nothing, nothing, but I kind of feel like t- expectations are very, very high in Eugene right now. Let's kind of, you know, let's tamper them back a little bit. Everything's going to become a little bit more realistic here in a couple of weeks. Um, I do have Oregon just simply other than the fact that I don't trust anybody else um, in the, in the Pac-12 to be able to compete yeah. for one of those top two spots. So I've got Oregon actually facing Utah. Um, this is my sleep. Hold on. 
Do I get what? to put in my no, most Adam, disappointing team? You don't. Or just skip me. Okay, Adam. My, my bad. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, there was only three teams that I could really consider for most disappointing because the expectations are so low for pretty much every team, or, or at least even mediocre for every team. Do it. Do so it. you've got USC, you've got Oregon, <laughs> and you've got Utah that have high expectations coming into this year. There's only uh, two of those teams have a defense, and one of them doesn't, and that's USC. And so I'm going to go with USC as my most disappointing, not because I hate Lincoln Riley or I want them to fail. I just don't see it. It feels a lot like some classic Texas Tech, Baylor, even some OU teams of recent memory that had all offense and no defense. And I think that's going to get some wins for Lincoln Riley. But there's lots of people that think this is potentially a playoff team, a top 10 team. And I just don't I don't think that they are. Offense was not their problem last year. They were a top 25 offense. They were atrocious on defense and only won four games. So, yes, he's got Caleb Williams. Yes, he's got Travis Dye. He's got all sorts of weapons on offense. Um, but going from a top 25 offense to a top even five offense, if they're that successful, I don't think helps them that much. So I think Oregon State is scary. I think Washington State is scary. Utah is scary. Um, Notre Dame's out of conference. But there's lots of uh, road road traps on the, or, uh, you know, traps on the schedule that – I think could be 50-50 games, even though USC has a far superior offense. So USC, most disappointing. I also hope they lose. So, <laughs> Adam, ahead, who's, in your, uh, yeah. who's in your conference championship, guys? I'll go last. I've got Utah, which seems kind of unanimous. They actually have a pretty tough non-conference schedule. Um, and then uh, not the easiest in-conference schedule either, but the best overall most complete team. And I think they've got one of the best quarterbacks that Utah has had in Cameron Rising. Um, maybe since Alex Smith. So uh, I like the Utes there. And then I've also got Oregon. I didn't feel great about it. I don't like Bo Nix and I don't like uh, Kenny Dillingham, their offensive coordinator. I know he scared a lot of OU fans and we thought we might be getting Dan Lanning. So I didn't love that either, but at the same time, it's like, I don't know who else to put in there. USC conference champion in the PAC 12. I think you're spot on with everything you've said, Adam, but if Lincoln Riley can do what he did at OU, in the Big 12 Conference, he can do it in the Pac-12 Conference. And so to me, it's a no-brainer. USC, their offensive talent is going to be far superior than probably anything anything else as far as a position, one side of the ball or the other, in the Pac-12. I think he rides that. Let's be honest, guys. Lincoln would live with an entire season of 56 to 45 games. He would. He would not care at all. And so that's why I don't think it's as big of a deal as maybe you guys believe. I've got USC over Utah in redemption of Utah beating them earlier in the season. I can't argue with that. Like, that's good reasoning. I just, I don't know if my heart can get there. (laughs) I think that's why I'm doing it. That's where my expectation is going to be. And so if it happens, like, I'm good. That's what I thought would happen. I I can't knock it just because you, I mean, USC is the most betted team to win the national championship, according to Vegas. So I don't understand it. But yeah, that's just the facts. But I'm not there. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely not there. I don't. And as a matter of fact, I don't even have them playing the conference championship. I've got Utah versus Oregon. Uh, Utah. This was my sleeper team a year ago. I picked them to win the win the Pac-12, and they didn't let me down, beating Oregon twice in three weeks. And I think they're poised to go even farther this year. Quarterback Cam Rising, running back Tavion Thompson, both OU commits at one point. Uh, are back to lead an offense, returning eight starters, three on the offensive line. They do have some question marks at the middle linebacker position that they'll need to address. And we're going to find out really, really quick uh, about Utah because they travel to Gainesville in week one to take on Billy Napier and the Gators. Uh, Pac-12 slate isn't all that daunting for Utah as they get Lincoln Riley and USC at home. 
Oregon State and Stanford at home, but it's going to all come down to that November 19th matchup in Eugene against Dan Lanning and the Ducks and what I'm predicting is the first of two meetings, just like last year, between Utah and Oregon, and Utah is going to win the Pac-12. I'm just not. I'm just not. I'm just not ready for for USC to the media frenzy, the the love affair behind that program, that media market. I just I do not want to spend an entire offseason talking about Lincoln Riley winning the Pac-12, and it's going to get so much better moving forward. You're going to hate my Heisman pick then. So. Oh God! Here we go. Let's let's touch on it's the SEC. The SEC. <laughs> let's SEC. Uh, most surprising team for me. I'll kick us off here. Um, this was, I thought that this was going to be a an easy conference to kind of predict. Yes, picking the conference winner was easy for me, but there's a lot of uncertainty up and down the teams within this conference. So I'm drinking the Kool Aid down in Knoxville. I think Josh Heupel's starting to build something pretty good. Uh, they got 15 starters coming back to go along with a pretty favorable schedule by SEC standards. Uh, they averaged 39 points a year ago. They returned their backfield quarterback, Hendon Hooker, uh, or top running back, Jabari Smith, to go along with standout wide receiver, Cedric Tillman. Uh, guys, I I really, really like Tennessee this year. Not to not to win the East or anything, uh, but I could see this being uh, maybe an eight or even a nine-win team down in Knoxville this year with, uh, with hype. Is that Adam? surprising? I mean, that kind of seems like they're – Supposed to finish second. Yeah, we need to put you know like guidelines. I think it's I think it's surprising when I think it's surprising when you look and see how far Tennessee if they do go on to you know be number two in the East, win eight or nine games, that's a really really significant turnaround for Josh Heupel with what this program was left to him for. Uh, I think they what they had forty five to fifty players leave that roster from a year ago after the shit show down in Knoxville with the McDonald's bags, the recruiting violations, all that stuff. I like Josh. I like Josh Heupel this year to win at least eight games. Fair enough. I mean, they win last year. I think they were uh, either seven let's or eight. See here, I got them right here. Wins. They were, yeah, they were seven. So your your surprising team was winning one more game than last year. But I mean, if you just go up and down their schedule, I mean, Ball State, Pitt, Akron, Florida. Okay, chances are I like them to go four zero. Then you've got to go to Baton Rouge. That's a that's a toss up game. Alabama at home. UT Martin, Kentucky. There's, it's a pretty favorable schedule, especially when you look at they got Missouri and Vanderbilt out of the, uh, um, to to kind of close released. out two of the final four yeah. weeks. Of the okay, okay, Adam, yeah. there you go. Yeah. But yeah, I, nine wins but, for Tennessee this year. Go ahead, Adam. Yeah, I went a little yeah. bit different direction. I picked Auburn not because I like <laughs> hardly anything about Auburn. There, I picked I think last in the SEC West, but we know Auburn has some talent. It may not be at quarterback necessarily. I don't really love what they have there. T.J. Finley, Zach Calzada. Uh, doesn't feel great, but Brian Harson's coaching for his job right now. And if he can get those players rallied behind him, you know, even if they finish fifth instead of seventh in the SEC West, I think that is a surprise. If he can keep his job at all, I think that's a surprise just based on the trajectory of that program right now. I think Ole Miss is rebuilding LSU. Who knows what they are? Mississippi state. I, I think Auburn probably has better talent up and down the board than Mississippi state. So I just think Auburn has the, they have more room to be surprising. Maybe it's winning seven games or eight games that maybe that's enough. So that's why I'm going with the tigers simply because I just, no one else really stood out to me that could be a surprising or had a lot of room or potential to get better. Tyler's just laughing at our picks. There's just so much disrespect. No, no, it's, it's just funny. It Cause really I've got is. Brian, I've got Brian Harson getting fired in, in Auburn, not even making a bowl game this year. So we're just on two completely maybe. different ends of the spectrum. So, all right. My surprise team is actually LSU. I don't expect Chip Kelly to be around, or uh, I'm sorry, not Brian Kelly Brian to be Kelly. around long. 
but we do know coaches have success in Baton Rouge. They may not have it for long, but they do strike gold at least one year. I think LSU, their schedule's pretty favorable, guys. I mean, I'm trying to take a look here. Oh. Yes, you've got you've got Bama at home, oh. at Arkansas, at A and M, who I think is one going to be one of the more disappointing teams. I mean, LSU's got talent for days on that roster. Can Brian Kelly get them there? We'll see. I'm going to stay in Baton Rouge for what's going to be my most disappointing team in the what SEC. What expectations this year. do they have? It's a two. Okay. It's a two. Okay. Well, the, the expectations are high. They just lured away Brian Kelly from South Bend. So expectations for that fan base are high. Are it's LSU. Ranked? Yeah, that. Pretty sure they're ranked. I'd have to look up the AP poll. I think they're ranked, they're but not ranked. <laughs> they're they're starting. Okay, they're they're what was going to be. Uh, many people thought to be their starting quarterback. He's not the starting quarterback. He just quit football. It's a two man race for the starting job now. Jane Daniels, Garrett Nussmeyer, neither guys really separated themselves with two more scrimmages to go to close out fall camp. There's question marks on the offensive line and in the secondary, but they're. I will say this, Corbin, the defensive line play for that team is going to be elite now. I'm making this argument. You talked about a favorable schedule. I'm making this argument why they're going to be disappointing entirely based on the schedule alone. Florida wow, State, okay. to me, that's a toss-up. Okay, Southern, Miss, okay, and then you go You just said Florida State was a disappointing team back in the ACC. That's a toss-up. Those are two, two programs. <laughs> Those are two programs that we're going to find out a lot in that opening week game. I could see that going either way. Um, but – Auburn at Kentucky, Florida at Ole Miss at Alabama. Or excuse me, I'm looking at 2021. It's yeah. going off the rails fast. What are we doing here? At Auburn, Tennessee at Florida, Ole Miss, Alabama at Arkansas at Texas A&M. I don't see this in uh, seven wins, maybe eight. That's kind of what they're expected to do. So that's right on par with expectations. That's not surprising or disappointing. LSU standards, you and I, go, you you and I both know are always higher than what reality actually is. I think that but for we're LSU fans... Their, we're not talking about their fans. We're talking about expectations from across the country. And yeah, I think well, this could potentially be an 8-9 to nine win team. I'll, I'll, take the, I'll take the under. Okay. Okay. There you go. Uh, most disappointing, Corbin, have you, have you done yours yet? Uh, no. I'm actually torn between two here. I, I could say A&M for all the obvious reasons that we've seen from them year in and year out. I've also got Ole Miss up here. You lose what everybody has said was the main play caller in the Lane Kiffin offense. I think that hurts. You lose your starting quarterback. And guys, let me take a quick peek at the schedule here. Not not ideal. Uh, you have Kentucky at home. You go on the road to LSU, on the road to AM, Alabama at home, on the road to Arkansas, and then obviously the Egg Bowl they've got at home to end the year. That's not easy, guys. No schedule in the SEC is easy, but that seems a little more tough than some of the others. I've got Ole Miss as one of my disappointing mm-hmm. teams uh, in the SEC. The SEC West is the meat grinder, so I'm sticking in that division for my disappointing team. I'm Arkansas. going with Texas a oh, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the expectations are so high. I think people expect them to go 10 wins. And really, if you think in recent memory, just over the last 10, 15 years, Texas A&M's best seasons have come off of low expectations. Johnny Manziel coming out of nowhere, and then the 2020 year when they went to the Orange Bowl, went COVID. nine and one. Yeah, COVID, it was a strange year. So um, expectations are high. Once again, a lot of people have them in the top ten. I just don't think that's sustainable. I don't like what they have at the quarterback position mm-hmm. or the way they run that offense necessarily. But I especially don't like the stretch of their schedule. That I think is like the end of September, middle of October. 
four straight games away from College Station. You get Arkansas in uh, Jerry World, and then you're on the road at Mississippi State, at Bama, and at South Carolina. Not all those teams are daunting, but playing four straight games away from home is exhausting. So I think the Aggies will probably, like normal, drop some games that they shouldn't and uh, fall out of that top ten. Corbin, I really, really like your old Miss pick. Um, I think that there's a chance the Rebels start out the season, you know, maybe five and one or, or even six and zero. Oh, but once you get into the SEC West play, um, I, I, I think it's going to be a toss up for you know every single one of those games, and so they could finish the year six and six. Adam, um, Texas A&M to me, it all comes down to the quarterback position for them. They are a quarterback. The the quarterback will decide whether this team is ten and two or eleven and one, or on the flip side, eight and four, seven and five. So. Kind of feels like we've said that about Texas A&M every single year since Johnny left, uh, but especially this year with them racking up recruiting uh, classes. We'll see what they can do with the quarterback position. But, um, guys, I think that this is going to be pretty chalk uh, when talking about the conference championship and who's going to win the SEC. I'm just going to get it out for me. I've got Alabama versus Georgia, and I've got Alabama beating Georgia to win the SEC and complete a perfect regular season. Same. I have Bama over Georgia as well. I really wanted to pick someone other than Georgia because they do lose a ton on defense. And the just putting in easy. new five stars mm-hmm. is is not easy. Um, and I do think that that offense will have to carry the load a lot more, especially early in the year. But that <clears throat> schedule is just not challenging for the Bulldogs. And I don't love Tennessee enough to put them ahead. So, um, yeah, I've got Bama and Georgia there as well. So that leaves us with the Big 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tyler, uh, who's your surprising team? Surprising team for me. Um, I'm really high on this team, have been on all on all offseason. Will not surprise if this team ends up playing in Arlington come December, and that's the Kansas State Wildcats. Uh, they've got veteran leadership returning at some very, very key positions on this team. Adrian Martinez, transfer quarterback from Nebraska. I think we're going to find out pretty quick if it was uh, Adrian Martinez or Nebraska uh, that was the problem up there in Lincoln. So combine him, a great compliment to Deuce Vaughn, that Wildcat rushing attack, seniors at the wide receiver and tight end positions, four of the five starting offensive linemen coming back. Um, and then, guys, something uh, to keep an eye on. We we played against this guy uh, four times. Colin Klein is actually now serving as the offensive coordinator up in Manhattan, coming off of a pretty impressive 42-20 to 20 performance with uh, Kansas State beating LSU uh, in a bowl game last year. So I'm, I'm very, very high on Kansas State, and probably the biggest reason – out of all this, and Adam, I'm curious to get your thoughts because I know you've you know you you like Kansas State as well. It's a tricky schedule. You've got Baylor and Oklahoma on the road, but you do get Oklahoma State and Texas in back to back weeks in Manhattan. But guys, as I started diving further into this schedule, the Big Twelve scheduling department took care of Chris Kleiman this year in a major, major way because every good team that they play in their conference is coming off of a massive game the week before. They play Oklahoma the week after OU goes to Nebraska. They play TCU the week after they face Texas. They play Texas the week after the Longhorns go to Stillwater. And they play Baylor the week after the Bears come to Norman. So very, very favorable schedule for Kansas State this year. Watch out for Chris Kleiman's group. I liked K-State, but I just could not get over the fact that Adrian Martinez, I don't think, is an upgrade over Skylar Thompson. And I know Skylar Thompson missed a few games here and there with injuries, but that's Adrian Martinez as well. So mm-hmm. as much as I like the Wildcats and want to pick them, I just can't get on board with Adrian Martinez right now. So yeah. for that reason, my most surprising team, I'm going to go with Texas Tech, another team that I think almost everybody automatically puts at ninth there, but they do have Tyler Shuck coming back off of injury. Or if you go with Donovan Smith, who was a, a freshman last year, but showed some 
um, some potential at the end of the season once they finally moved away from Henry Columbia. Um, I think that there's some options at quarterback there for the Red Raiders. And I do think that uh, Joey McGuire, the new coach there, is has some similarities to Brent Venables in the fact that he's going to absolutely squeeze the absolute most potential out of that particular team. So seven, eight wins might be um, you know good enough to consider that a surprise. My surprise team, guys, is TCU. Um, again, I, I do understand, Tyler, what you're saying about K-State. I think the trips to Norman to Waco. It's pretty tough. Um, and TCU feels like a program similar to what we've talked about, like a Florida state, uh, in the past we've discussed about a Florida where there's so much talent in that DFW area. Like at some point they're going to turn it around. And my honest opinion is that they don't do it here in the next two to three years. It's possible this program gets forgotten as a whole, um, as conference realignment continues to shift. So I think now's the time for TCU and Sonny Dykes, to make a statement that they can be players in a conference. I think they need that. They host Oklahoma. They host Oklahoma state. Um, they host K state. If, if K state is this, you know, surprise team, they host them. Yes. On the road at Baylor on the road at Texas. I, I just, if the, there's not necessarily, I think a, a schedule that outside of K state that really favors somebody, but this one's pretty close. So, I'm going to go TCU for the surprising team. Quickly shifting to my disappointing team. It's got to be Baylor, right? I mean, like that has to be, they have to be a small drawback. You look at, I, I know this is out of conference, but you go at BYU, they're going to get beat up there. They may still come out of there with a win, but they're going to get beat up early in the season. At Iowa State, at Tech, at Oklahoma, at Texas. That's tough. I'm not saying that this team isn't good enough to go in and win enough games to make it to Arlington, but I just think this top 10 Baylor program is probably a bit too high for my liking. I see them probably closer to 15 to 20. So not necessarily a huge disappointment, but at least I think going from a conference champion winner to where they might fall this year, a little bit of a step back. Adam, does Baylor feel like this year's version of Iowa State that has Brock Purdy, Brees Hall, so much hype around them coming back? Does it feel like Baylor's kind of falling under that same category where Baylor's not going to sneak up on anybody this year and beat them? Everybody's going to have their full attention. Um, it's everybody's darling in the Big 12 to you know say, oh, we got this new shiny toy and we love this coach. He's so great. Yeah, mm-hmm. it feels the same way. And uh, I actually had Baylor as my most disappointing team as well. Maybe wow. against better judgment because here's the difference between this year's Baylor team and last year's Iowa State team. Iowa State did have a ton of you know uh, starters coming back from that team, but their their main headliners were skill guys. Baylor's kind of the opposite: offense, mm-hmm. defensive line. So that's usually the sign of a, a really good team. But as Corbin pointed out, they're on the road against the three teams that probably have the talent advantage on them: Oklahoma, Texas, and BYU is probably debatable. They also have a road trip to West Virginia, and uh, that's always going to be tough, no matter how good or bad West Virginia is. So. Just by nature of that, and I, it worked for me last year where I said, I'm not picking Iowa State to repeat in the Big 12 championship game. I'm taking the field. I'm doing the same thing with Baylor this year. I think it's so hard to repeat when you mm-hmm. don't necessarily have that big talent advantage that you know OU has enjoyed um, over those uh, teams in the Big 12. So anything short of the Big 12 championship is a disappointment for the Bears coming into this year. So it's 
I mean, could be two, three losses and they don't make it. And that's, that's all it is. Still a good year for Baylor, but disappointing nonetheless. Yeah. I guess I took this, this out of context. Maybe we should have defined some of the parameters when talking about what is the most disappointing team. Cause for this one, I've actually got West Virginia um, simply because of the fact that I feel like that fan base, there's kind of been some um, it's kind of been reinvigorated by getting JT Daniels transfer quarterback in from Georgia. They've got five uh, starters on the offensive line returning, um, Neil Brown, it kind of feels like there were so much high expectations. There was a lot of reason for optimistic once he came into West Virginia. First three seasons at West Virginia, Mountaineers have finished ninth, eighth, and tenth in the Big 12 Conference. So really it's kind of put up or shut up time for, for me. They are replacing eight starters on the defensive side of the football. So I think that while there is a lot of optimism because JT Daniels and that West Virginia offense is supposed to be really, really good this year, um, you look at their – you look at their schedule. Yes, they get OSU, they get OU, Kansas State, and Baylor at home, but I still don't expect anything different from West Virginia this year when expectations are a little bit higher for Mountaineers fans. And guys, I'll kind of transition here um, when talking about Baylor. I'm going to give my uh, Oklahoma, or I'm going to give my conference championship matchup. Um, first, actually, hang on. I want to touch on two teams here with you guys because I want to. This isn't actually scripted, but I want to talk about Texas a little bit expectations is texas back sark year two b john's back quinn ewers the antichrist god save the queen he's our savior what are our thoughts on texas this year same stuff different year or it's it's interesting how expectations are already being lowered two weeks into fall camp Uh, obviously they've had some key injuries that Mm -hmm. and some bad practice reports as far as where that offense is and especially where the offensive line is so yeah, I mean, I, I just I can't be a buyer in Texas right now. Does Hudson Card play the first two games of the year? That is exactly where I was leading to. We never this. see him again. Why they the are going? If you're Sarkeesian, you're not beating Bama. You're not. It doesn't no. matter. It, you, you you're not even at your A plus game. You're not beating Alabama. So why put Quinn U- Ewers in that situation? Yes, here's I think you start Hudson Card. Let him beat Louisiana Monroe. Let him get smacked around by Alabama. And that gives you every authority to put in Quinn Ewers. You know the fan base is going to be asking for it anyway. And if you look at the schedule from there, UTSA, At Tech, West Virginia at home. Three very winnable games if Texas plays up to its talent. Mm-hmm. Let Quinn Ewers get settled, and then obviously you go down the stretch of Oklahoma, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, K-State. To me, it's a no-brainer. That's how this plays out. With the asterisk, Texas also played LSU really close. National champion LSU, who we think was probably one of the best teams that we've seen in the past X amount of years. What if Hudson Card makes it a game? What if he challenges Bama? Then what do you do? So I don't know. It, it, all of this is a big mystery. There were, <laughs> there was a lot of reason for concern in Austin with the offensive line. They were thinking that they were probably even with a healthy left guard and junior um, Angulo, which I apologize if I mispronounced that. Obviously, news came out over the weekend. He tore his he tore his ACL in the scrimmage. Chances are he was going to be their most decorated, their best player on the offensive line. So, I think there's probably a realistic chance you're for sure starting two, maybe even three true freshmen. I don't see any scenario in which Hudson Card doesn't start the first game of the year. Uh, Louisiana Monroe, Texas has enough talent alone to take care of them. High train, Bama's going to be rolling in there. With three freshmen on the offensive line, you are 1,000% throwing 
Hudson Carr to the Wolves in that one. Will Anderson against a freshman left tackle. Oh my God. I would not want to be that. I would not want to be Hudson Card. But like you said, Corbin, they're going to use that as an opportunity. Okay, Quinn Ewers, your time. You're the savior. Take us home the rest of the way. I think that it's going to play out exactly how you said. Um, on ta- on paper, this team has enough talent to win nine to ten games, but culture, injury bug. I think this could be another seven and five, eight and four year in Austin. And guys, we didn't we didn't put this on the script, but I do want to kind of get a prediction here on Oklahoma what the record is going to be uh, for this. Whoa, which we're, can... we're saving that for. Uh, Are we saving that for next week, year? Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. We'll save that, that. For week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's go to Big Twelve Championship predictions here. I've got Oklahoma. Going up against Baylor, Baylor, you you hit the nail on the head, uh, Adam. You know, four fifth-year uh, seniors returning on the offensive line, ton of skill, talent to replace. What do we really make of Blake Shape? And yes, looked fantastic in the Big Twelve Championship game a year ago. Looked good in the bowl game, but still kind of young, um, still kind of unproven. We'll see how he goes over the course of a full season. On defense, you've got to replace Jalen Petrie, probably one of the best best defensive players in, in Big 12 Conference in recent history. You've got to replace Terrell Bernard, a few other guys, but I know Dave Aranda is going to figure things out. They've got a really good defensive line coming back as well. Early season road games at BYU and Iowa State could trip them up in September, but guys, I'm looking at that closing four-game stretch that the Bears are going to have to deal with at Oklahoma, Kansas State, TCU both in Waco, and then on the road in Austin to close out the regular season. So I've got Baylor navigating the the windy, curvy road that is the Big 12 regular season, and I've got them playing Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game where Oklahoma and Brent Venables in year one are going to win the program's seventh Big 12 championship in eight years. I've also got Oklahoma in the conference championship game. We'll have more time to talk about them probably in future weeks here as we lead up to the season. I had a tough time settling mm-hmm. on a team that would match up against OU simply based off of my rule of I'm going to take the field instead of Baylor here. And so I ended up landing on Oklahoma State. The Cowboys return a lot of starters on offense. You know, we talk about Spencer Sanders, Tyler's favorite quarterback. He is what he is. I think Braylon Presley steps up as their lead receiver. who's pretty solid as a younger player last year. And then Dominic Richardson at running back can probably produce similar to what Jalen Warren did last year. It's the defensive side of the ball that's more of a question mark. Uh, You lost Jim Knowles to Ohio State. Derek Mason comes over from Auburn, probably overqualified to be the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma State. And he's actually running Jim Knowles' scheme, which I guess is good. But I almost don't like that very much when a new guy comes in and tries to run someone Mm -hmm. else's scheme um, just for consistency. So that's kind of intriguing. But, um, yeah, that's why I'm going with Cowboys. I think they were a really solid team last year, and they return a lot of those pieces, especially offensively. I just couldn't get behind Texas with injuries, and and no one else really truly stood out. So um, I got a Bedlam rematch in Arlington, and OU taking the win there. I've got the same exact matchup with the same exact outcome, and I, I agree with you, Adam. I don't love the pick. Um, but Baylor's schedule seems too tough. But then I look at Oklahoma State's and they're going at Baylor, at TCU, <laughs> at K-State, at Oklahoma. Not really that much easier. Um, so I'm just kind of going. Either. Uh, tough, Central, tough Michigan, Central Michigan, tips. Arizona State, Arkansas Pine Bluff. I don't know. I've seen tougher. Um, yeah. If this team's the 12th ranked team in the nation, they should handle all three of those teams pretty easy. Um, so... But at some point, I think you got to go with the quarterback who you may not love, but at least you know. And that's that's what we do know in Spencer Sanders. Uh, first team. We know exactly 12, who he is. Spencer Sanders. <laughs> and, Tyler. Um, and so, yeah, so I think that uh, quarterback play goes a long way. 
you saw the the worst of the worst in Spencer Sanders in that Baylor game last year, and they still almost won the game. So I know they lost a lot on the defensive side of the ball, but I do think it's a Bedlam uh, rematch in Arlington to end the year with OU ending up on top. Guys, let's transition to Heisman. I'm going to get mine out of the way. I already told you guys you weren't going to like it. Lincoln Riley's offense is going to put up a lot of points. And a lot of points means you've got a quarterback putting up a lot of stats. There is already so much talk and smoke and excitement about Caleb Williams in a USC uniform. I think he just needs to have a pretty good year, and he's going to be in the running. Caleb Williams for Heisman this year. I, I think it's funny that I think we had an episode after the TCU game last year where we talked about whether Caleb Williams could win the Heisman in 2021. Yeah. So I think that's kind of funny. I'm going with CJ Stroud at Ohio State. I think they're in a much better position to be higher ranked, and I think he'll put up just as good, if not better, stats than any other quarterback out there. That offense should absolutely mm-hmm. annihilate everyone they go against. Um, I'm actually kind of kind of go with a curveball here for you guys. Um, this typically isn't a um, stats-driven award, not in recent years. It typically goes to the best player on one of the best teams at the very end of the season. Um, this kid plays for the Alabama Crimson Tide and best player on that roster who is not the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. I think that this is the uh, this is finally the season where we see a defensive player win the Heisman Trophy. I'm going to pick Will Anderson. Um, so much hype going into this season. Probably would have been the number one overall NFL draft pick if he was eligible a year ago. Um, he's going to be a double-digit sack guy. He might be halfway there after the after the game in Austin uh, against that line. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Will Anderson to win the Heisman Trophy uh, and cap off a uh, big season for Alabama. Adam, give me your four playoff teams. Yeah, uh, interesting one here. We posed this question to Twitter, got a few good responses. At the PG show had Alabama, Michigan, OU, and Clemson. And then at Sooners, the one had Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. thought that was interesting. Uh, with those two responses, no Georgia – and no Pac-12 uh, anywhere in the picture, which um, we're not used to seeing the Pac-12 in the playoffs anyway, so that's not a surprise. But no Georgia is kind of interesting just because everyone has them in their top four. Georgia's in, um, guys. Well, your, I'm going to side Adam? with Twitter. I had wow. Bama. I have Ohio State. I think Georgia gets upset somewhere in the middle of the season and then gets knocked out by Bama in the SEC title game. I'm going OU. And then Woo. for that final spot – I was kind of down between, well, do I take the ACC champ? Do I take the Pac-12 champ? Or is there another Big Ten team out there? Or an independent. Or an independent. Liberty? No. (laughs) Uh, I went with with my Pac-12 champ, Utah. I think they have so many opportunities. They've got Florida uh, to open the year. They've got a tough San Diego State team that's probably going to win the Mountain West, potentially. So that's a good non-conference win. Uh, and then you've got USC on their schedule. You've got Oregon on their schedule. You've got uh, even at Oregon State might be, if, if they're the surprising team that Tyler thinks they are, that could be a quality win. So even if Utah drops the game, I think they have opportunities to climb their way back into the rankings. Mm. Go ahead, Tyler. Corbin? Okay. Um, very, very similar to you, Adam, uh, although I do not have Oklahoma in the playoffs. I've got Alabama number one, Ohio State two, Clemson coming in at number three, and I've actually got the Utah Utes. Representing wow, the Pac-12, neither one of you have Georgia. Neither one. The nope. national Hangover. champion, national champion Georgia. You guys don't have I'm, I'm with Adam. I think uh, Alabama takes care of them in the SEC championship game, and they get tripped up along the way. And I just don't see. Again, we'll see how it feels in November, but I think it's. I think Utah has a very, very good chance of running the table this year. I'm not. Could go undefeated, but I would have a hard time seeing a one-loss. Pac-12 champion Utah that already has the preseason hype. The narrative's already been scripted. 
I think they get in over a two loss Georgia. Yeah, non. Yeah, yeah. I'm, if if that's the case, I would agree with you. I've got Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, and you're gonna have to give me an asterisk on this one because I have an or for my last one. Nope. It's the winner of Clemson and Notre Dame. They play each other on the field. The winner of that game is my fourth pick. Who are you uh, picking to win that game? I genuinely <laughs> do not know because I think both of the I think it's going to be like a defensive battle. I don't see this going over like twenty five points on either well, side. Well, you would think Notre Dame's going to have to win that game because they go to Ohio State week one. Exactly. Which, if you're Notre Dame, you can afford to lose one of them for sure. One. For sure, but that's it. So and, and I think that if you if you were then were to line up a one loss non champion Notre Dame with a one loss Pac twelve champion Utah, that's an easy pick. So Notre Dame's in. Caleb Williams Heisman Trophy winner, USC Pac twelve champion. Too many losses on the resume to get into that four spot. It's not impossible, but I, I get, but they're going to play each other. Notre Dame and SC are going to play each other. So there's your answer. Yeah. Plot. Okay. Like- it sounds like we're using depth chart rules for this. So for my fourth team, I'm going to pick <laughs> Utah or NC State or hey, Michigan or Georgia. I These two teams play on the field. And so I'm saying the winner of this game gets the final playoff spot. Who's your I champion? looked at this game. My, my champion is Bama over Georgia. Rematch of last Bama year. Well. Bama beats Georgia two times in the year. That's Georgia's only two losses. feel very confident about that. Yeah, I got Bama over Georgia. I have, I have Bama. Wait, no, you can't have Georgia. You didn't have Georgia no. in your... Oh no! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've got I've got <laughs> Alabama over Ohio State. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. So so Tyler and I yeah. are the same there. So hopefully I uh, hate get... I hate going chalk, but yeah, to me yeah. it's it's Alabama, it's Ohio State, and there's a huge drop off between two. I don't two think it's that huge. Agreed. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, have... <laughs> watch, dude. All I can say is I've got a trophy well, over here. Was... I've got a trophy at my place for predictions last year. Nobody else can say the same. It may have taken eight months for it to get to me. Scoreboard. Nonetheless, I have the trophy. So but let me lose before you start throwing down my picks. USC, North Carolina, Nebraska, all three. That that would be one hell of a parlay. I'd be curious to see it what the payout be. is on that. I'll let me look it up. Make sure to follow us on YouTube <laughs> by searching the Mainline Podcast. Uh, it's been amazing to watch Tyler, the body language when Corbin says Nebraska or it's UNC. Amazing. So, so make sure to check us out on YouTube and you pick Nebraska to play in the Big, 12, Big Ten Championship. Oh follow God. us you on Twitter. Purdue. At the pod. <laughs> oh my that God. Is not as, that is not as far fetched as Nebraska is. Nebraska's at least played in a Big Ten Championship. They've got like four straight losing seasons. Does Bo Pelini, Bo Pelini has, not in is not in Nebraska anymore. Has Purdue even won? Like a a conference championship in the history of their football program. True. Nope. Well, so, <laughs> you're you're complaining about the last five years of Nebraska football and the history of Purdue. They don't have a conference championship. It's amazing. This is what people tune in for. Thanks for listening to our here. podcast. We will see everyone again next week on the main line.